Well, good morning, church. Last week, we, uh, we began a three-week series called The Weekend, where we're looking at a weekend that happened almost 2,000 years ago, the, the weekend where Jesus died, where he was buried, and where he was resurrected. And uh, I've heard sermons before on uh, Good Friday and the death of Jesus. I've heard sermons before on the resurrection and on Easter Sunday. But I don't know that I've ever heard a message about Saturday, about the day in between uh, Jesus' death and his resurrection. It's a day we, we tend to skip over, but I think there's something to be learned about what we've sung about this morning, the waiting that we do on God. And a, a lot of us are in that stage right now. We feel like we're not in the midst of maybe the, the conflict that began things at the beginning of our story. We're not yet to completion. We're not yet to the place where God has given us an answer for things. We're in the middle of waiting right now. And so if you find yourself in that place, I hope this message comes uh, as a blessing to you, as an encouragement to you in that season uh, of waiting. Uh, and, and to begin, I want to I invite you to that Saturday. I want to invite you into that place where Jesus lays in the tomb and uh, the disciples have come to this news of his death. I want to invite you into this space. We're going to talk about that day, what, what it must have been like, and, uh, and, uh, and what it looks like in our own lives as we live in our Saturdays. Let's, uh, let's pray as we, we open God's Word this morning. God, I pray today that we would trust your presence and your movement, even in the midst of the darkness, even in the midst of our Saturdays, in the midst of uh, being in the middle of our stories. God, I, I know there's a lot that people bring into this room, and uh, I pray that you'd speak to each one in a way that would be uh, powerful to their situation. God, they'd be able to apply whatever it is that you speak today. And I pray this morning you'd pour through me the gift of preaching, so that Christ would be formed in our hearts and in our lives. We might leave these doors as a more committed people to you and to one another. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. As I said, I want you to imagine yourselves in the place of those disciples. You were there when Jesus healed uh, blind people and allowed them to see. You were there when Jesus caused lame people to paralyze, to walk. You were there when demons were cast out of the demon-possessed. You saw all of that he taught and all that he did. You were there when the Sermon on the Mount was preached. You saw the power of God unleashed through his life in so many ways, but you were also there on that Friday. You were there, but not necessarily right there, because in some ways all of them fled on that day, right? John seems to be there at the cross. There are some women who are there, but imagine yourself hearing about this scene or or being present, seeing the blood flowing down the cross as you've run away from Jesus, even after you followed him all this time. He's carried his cross. He's gone to the cross. It seems like everything slows down, doesn't it? That all that you had hoped, all that you had planned, this idea that God would be the one who would bring his kingdom, that peace would ensue on the earth, that the Romans would be overtaken, whatever it is that your expectations were, it seems like all of it was a failure. That's what Saturday feels like, doesn't it? There wasn't anyone, it seems, who had a hope of resurrection, even after Jesus had told them, three days from now, I'm going to raise up this temple. I'm going to come back. But on Easter morning, the women come to the tomb to help prepare his body. They're not expecting to be the first to greet him alive. They think this whole thing has failed. What would that be like to give three years of your life to someone? You saw all these powerful things. You know, with one word that Jesus could have spoken, he could have come down from that cross, that he could have called 10,000 angels, but instead he hung there and he sacrificed himself through love on our behalf. I mean, the cross was no match for his miraculous power. 
Then he breathes in his last breath and he sighs as he exhales. It is finished. And I would imagine it feels like a failure. I would imagine it feels like you've backed the wrong person in some way. It, it seems it would be hard to have faith in God when Jesus, whom you put all of your hope in, ends up passing away. None of them wanted to say it, but I imagine them having breakfast perhaps on that Saturday morning saying, what went wrong? Why did God not do what he promised he would do? It was a noble attempt, but, but he couldn't get enough from his followers. Or maybe he, he couldn't convince the chief priests, or he couldn't bring these Romans to seek the way of peace and said they killed him. Or he couldn't get enough ordinary people to understand his message. He couldn't even train us as his disciples to be present when he needed us most. Can you imagine what, what it would have felt like if woken up on that Saturday and realized it wasn't a bad dream, it was a reality? And some of you know exactly what that feels like. You know what Saturday feels like. Saturday's the day after your dream failed. Saturday is the day after the tragedy. Saturday is the day after the divorce. Saturday is the day after the funeral. And everyone else's life seems to be able to go on just like it's normal, but yours feels like it will never be the same way again. Yeah, some of you know exactly what Saturday feels like. In some way, all of us know a bit of it. Saturday is the day you wake up and you can't imagine life continuing because what you'd hoped for, what you'd prayed for, what you'd worked for, all of those things did not come to the end you had hoped. I can't imagine fully what that looks like for each and every one of us that are in the room, but I imagine that all of us have had an experience of Saturday. We've had an experience of waiting on God to do something and feeling as if He was silent, as if those prayers came to nothing. And it's strange, too, to think about this because, we, again, we worship about God on this week that you know, Palm Sunday we celebrate today, and we'll talk Friday about Good Friday. We'll celebrate that. We'll think about Easter Sunday. But did you think about this? There are really only two events that happen over this weekend of three days. Why did God take three days to accomplish two events? It seems superfluous. It seems, why would this waiting need to happen? Which brings me to a word about time. You see, we view the idea of time in a very different way than most ancient people would have viewed it. Because the ancients viewed time as as a cyclical thing, as a cycle. Like this circle that happens and reappears all the time. Every day there's a cycle, right? We, We know this ourselves, that the sun rises and the sun sets. And in those days when the sun set, you you went to bed. We've tricked the sun by creating, you know, electricity and all that. Some of us don't get enough sleep as we were intended to get. But, but there's this cycle of day and night every single day. The same thing happens with seasons, right? Every year you can depend on different seasons to come. You're going to have winter, and then things are going to bloom in spring as we're seeing. It's going to come to summer, and we look forward to that, and then it's going to be fall, and it's going to happen all over again. In, in ancient Egypt, they saw this kind of rhythm happening. And it happened with one of the most important sources of life for them. It was the Nile River. And for the Egyptians, they knew that there were certain seasons every year where they could expect the Nile to get to flood stage. And there were other seasons where the the Nile wouldn't be as as big as it was. And so they began to pick up on this. And they would know there's certain seasons where you plant. And and then there's certain seasons where you harvest. There are these cycles every single year that they came to expect. And it was just this kind of cycle that went around and around. No, No difference, it seems. The same thing's true with generations, right? There's a generation that's born. And then that generation has children, and those children, maybe they'll have grandkids even, those that live long in the ancient times, but, but eventually you're going to die, and the next generation is going to come on. And this cycle of life, right, 
uh, you're here in the Lion King right now, right? You have the circle of life, right? Is kind of the way the ancients saw the world. In some sense, we see the world in similar ways. We know there's day and night. We know there are seasons. We, we see all that, but, but we don't see uh, time in the same way today. We tend to see time in a linear fashion rather than a cyclical fashion. When we teach history, we don't teach it in a circle. Usually you'll see a graph along the bottom of the page on a history in one of those textbooks that tells the story of humanity from the beginnings until the end. It's moving somewhere. It moves in a linear fashion. One day is not like the other. The Civil War time looks different uh, than the Industrial Revolution, right? I mean, we, we teach the world in a very different fashion. It's not the same thing every day. There, there's change. In fact, we tell history as if there's progress, don't we? we? We assume progress. There was a day where, believe it or not, you couldn't fit 10,000 songs in your pocket, right? And we imagine a day where we'll be able to have a million songs in our pocket. In fact, we can through streaming services that we can buy. Right? It's amazing what we've been able to do. And we see this progress happen. And so we see that, that tomorrow doesn't have to be the same as today. History is moving someplace. There's a progressive arc to it. We tell stories the same way, don't we? There's, there's a beginning of a story, and then there's this kind of in-between middle stage, and then there's an ending. But every good movie has this arc to it, doesn't it? That there's, there's a hero or a protagonist who wants something, and they have to go through some kind of conflict or obstacle or hurdle to overcome that, to come to the end, which is this great moment. But that external conflict Usually, in any good story, it creates an internal growth, doesn't it? The hero has to overcome something, and they become something better through this process. That's how we tell stories, is on this arc that's moving somewhere. And when Jesus enters into the earth, it's interesting how Jesus speaks in the Gospel of Mark. The first words he speaks, speaks uh, come, comes in, in Mark 1, uh, verse 15. And his first words are, the time has come. And this is a shift from how the ancients used to view it, because the ancients saw it as, well, time is just this cycle. It just happens again and again. But what Jesus is saying is, no, a moment is happening right now that's changing everything for all of history. History is not just an endless cycle. You don't expect the same thing today as there was yesterday. In fact, the Greeks had two words that they would use to talk about time in different ways. One was the word chronos. The word chronos was a, a quantitative measure. It measured time, kind of like we do with a clock, right? It was sequential time. It was a quantitative measure. Uh, so today you would have 24 hours, and tomorrow you have 24 hours. You, you only have so much time, right? But it's kind of a generic way of thinking about time. But there was another word that was used to describe time. It was the word kairos, kairos. And kairos means a special or an opportune moment. It's talking about a specific moment. You came with your time. And that's what Jesus is saying. That's the word he uses in Mark 1. He says uh, the time, the, the special moment, the opportune moment, the qualitative moment. It's a qualitative difference from what's come before. This is a new era that's being launched. What's about to go down, in other words, over these next three years, Jesus is saying, is going to change history forever. And he was right. Because what year is this? This is the year 2017. And how do we mark that? We mark that as about 2017 years after the birth of Jesus. We even count time differently because of the way that the world was changed by Jesus and his interaction on earth. As Christians, we understand that there are cycles and rhythms. We know there are seasons, but we see time in the modern world differently than those uh, ancients in the past. We see that, and we believe that progress is moving someplace, that God's moving his story 
along. But what does any of that have to do with the ache that we feel on Saturday in our lives? Again, why did God choose to take two events and space them into a series of three days? Well, if you pay close attention to Scripture, what you find is this isn't the first time that God takes three days to tell a story. All throughout the Jewish story, the Old Testament, we see this three-day rhythm show up again and again. I can show lots of examples, but let me give several of them. One is Abraham, right? In Genesis 22, God invites Abraham to go and sacrifice his son Isaac on a mountain. And so he loads up and he goes up the mountain, and, and it's on a specific day that he finds another sacrifice that he's able to sacrifice instead of Isaac. You know what day it was? It was on the third day that sacrifice shows up. A few generations later, Joseph has a story. Joseph gets sold into slavery by his brothers, and, and he ends up in Egypt, and he goes through a long series of events to become second most important in all of Egypt, right below the Pharaoh. And, and he, he's seen this dream, or he's, he's interpreted this dream about how they're going to have seven great years in Egypt, but then they're going to have seven years of famine. And so they've saved up, but it's hurting all the nations around who didn't know about this. And so Joseph's brothers, who'd sold him into slavery, they end up in a famine, and, and they have to go to Egypt to try to find more food for the family. So they go to Egypt, and guess who they run up on? They run up on, yeah, that's right, their brother Joseph, who they'd sold into slavery. They don't recognize him. But when they show up, Joseph puts them in prison. He's kind of playing with them, and he finally releases them. You know what day he releases them? On the third day. A little bit later in the Old Testament, there's a story about a queen named Esther. Esther, uh, it's an amazing story. If you get a chance this week, go and read the rest of that story. But, but Esther has this situation where she's a Jew, uh, but she's being raised in exile, and, and she's the queen. And, and what she finds out is there's a plot. In fact, there's already a plan and a law in place where all of the Jews are going to be killed on a specific day. And so she prays, and she fasts, and she waits, and there's a specific day she walks in to try to grant and find the favor of the king who, who might change this law and this edict. And sure enough, on the third day, she finds the favor of the king. God hands that to her. Uh, it happens over and over again. The same thing happens a little bit later in the story uh, of Jonah. Jonah is a prophet of God who's sent uh, to preach to the Ninevites and to present God's message of grace and repentance that they need to turn and change their lives to him. And So this message is preached, but it takes a little while because Jonah goes on the run away from God. But he gets swallowed by this fish. Maybe you remember this in your children's Bible story, VBS, right? And, and he thinks he's done away with, I'm sure. But it's, it's on the third day that, that he gets released from this fish and is able to go back and to continue the call of God. Three days. It happens over and over again in Scripture. In fact, if you have your Bibles, open with me, if you would, to another passage. It's Hosea. Hosea chapter 6. Hosea is a prophet who, who's speaking in the midst of Israel and and, and calling them back to repentance. And I want you to hear these words. It's almost an assumption at some point that there's something special about these three-day events. This is Hosea 6, verse 1. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but He will heal us. He has injured us, but He will bind up our wounds. After two days, He will revive us. On the third day, He will restore us that we may live in his presence. You see, all three day stories like this have a structure. There's conflict, and then there's this kind of in between, and then there's some kind of res resolution. And when it comes to our lives, we see the same conflict uh, in our lives. The, here's the problem, though, with the three day stories is you don't know it's a third, three day story <laughs> until the third day. 
When it's the first day, you don't know it's a three-day story. When it's Saturday and it's the second day, you don't know it's a third-day story. The only time you know it's a third-day story is when there's resolution, when the story comes to a better ending. But how many of us are living in the third day right now? Most of us, if we're honest, are living in day one or two. And so it seems uncertain. The, the, the story hasn't been completed, and we're living in the midst of it. And our question is, is this just another one of those one-day stories that turns out bad? Or is this third story the story that we're living in as well, where God's going to do something new, where he's going to bring resolution, where he's going to heal? We don't know those things. For those of you who've read the Bible, you know that the story begins in Genesis. And in Genesis, there's this story about a garden, the Garden of Eden. And in the Garden of Eden is this tree that gives them life. It's called the Tree of Life. And at the end of the story comes uh, another scene in Revelation. And at the end, in Revelation, there's the Tree of Life. It reappears again. Problem is, we live in between the trees, don't we? Yeah, it would have been great to have lived in Eden, right, where the first tree was. It'd be, it's going to be great when we get to live into eternity where the tree of life reappears. But right now, we live in between the trees. Our experience as the people of God is a Saturday experience, isn't it? All of us are living in between the conflict, in between the sin that we've experienced, in between uh, the, the diagnosis we've received, wondering, is this a one-day story or is this going to be a three-day story where God comes through? Trees at the beginning, the trees at the end, but we don't live with trees in this story except as bookends. So every story has these three parts, beginning, middle, and end. Creation, fall, and redemption. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we live between the trees. And our lives are an ongoing experience of Saturday. All we know is Saturday. But we believe, church, that Sunday's coming. Amen? And the belief of Sunday's promise completely changes the way we live on Saturday. Because if Saturday is just one more day in a cycle where nothing changes, then you have no hope. But if, if you know about three-part stories, you know what God's promised to do, then all of a sudden it changes your waiting on Saturday, doesn't it? Because you're waiting on God to do something. In fact, God calls us as co-rulers with him. And we pray, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying God's future into the present, asking God to make this world as he desires. But it's still Saturday. And many of you are experiencing the dull ache of Saturday right now. It doesn't make it easier necessarily right now to know that Sunday is coming. Saturday is painful. Saturday is a, a day filled with silence. It's a, it's a day where we wonder, is God actually going to do anything more? Saturday is the day after your prayers come up empty. Saturday seems like a day where heaven is silent, where God feels absent. On Saturday, you know death and you know nothing of resurrection. So what do you do on Saturday? Some of us choose despair. Kind of give up on the story and kind of see the world as a cycle and we just say, well, it's not, it's not going to get any better than this. Some of us choose denial, right? Some of us choose to numb our pain and just kind of live with no expectation about the future. But there's a third option and the third option is to live as people who wait in hope. Who believe third stories will continue to be told who choose trust. We can choose to, to work with God even when He feels far away. We can rest in Him. We can ask why questions when we're in a relationship with God. Trust and faith doesn't mean there's not doubt associated. Those, 
Those two commingle in our lives. And so it's absolutely great to complain to God because God is the one we're showing our faith to when we cry out to Him in these circumstances. One of the places that I've found has been most helpful for me in my journey on Saturdays has been, has been the book of Psalms. And if you haven't spent time in the Psalms recently, I'd encourage you to open this book if, if you're finding yourself in a Saturday moment. I want to read a, a psalm this morning, Psalm 22. It's a psalm uh, from King David while he's in real trouble in his life. And this is a little longer than 144 characters like our tweets today, so you'll have to have a little longer attention span. But I think there's some power in me sharing these words from David as he feels forsaken by God as he's sitting in a Saturday. And so if maybe this you're finding yourself in one of those Saturday moments, I want to encourage you find the Psalms is a place, most of the Psalms are actually Psalms of lament, Psalms of crying out in anguish to God. Here's one of those. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out, to, uh, out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. You are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I'm a worm, not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you. Even at my mother's breast, from birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you've been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near. There's no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey, open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It's melted within me. My my mouth, it's, it's dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs, they surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast my lots, cast, cast lots for my garment. You, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. And all the earth, ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will doubt, bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and He rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down the dust will kneel before Him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive, posterity will serve Him. 
future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim His righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, He has done it. You hear the arc of this psalm? He starts out by crying out, God, I'm, I'm forsaken. You've forsaken. You've abandoned me. My God, my God, you've forsaken me. You're allowing people to, to, to yell over me and show that I'm, I'm defeated. They're actually saying, why do you depend and, and trust in the Lord? But do you see how he makes this shift? Moves from forsakenness to trying to remember God has worked in the past. And I trust and proclaim he's going to act in my present on this Saturday. But at the end of the psalm, it's amazing the turn that's been made, isn't it? He prophesies about the future. Here's a man who feels forsaken by God, but in the midst of it, he proclaims his hope and he says, yes, this is Saturday. But in the future, which is hard to believe on Saturday, isn't it? In the future, generations are going to proclaim what he's done. And I love this move of David. And maybe for some of you who find yourself at the beginning words of that psalm, maybe the psalm itself are words that you don't know to speak and utter before God to say, God, this is where I am. I like to say the psalms are words that people have prayed to God and not gotten killed in the past. Does that make sense? They're they're safe words. They're words that people have prayed and God hasn't struck them down dead. So that means whatever is proclaimed in these psalms, we can feel safe to proclaim to him because it's what's going on in our lives. But I love how the faith moves, right? Forsakenness. God, I know in the future my kids will be able to tell of your wonders and what you've done. And on the cross in Matthew 27, Jesus utters some words, and they're familiar words if you've read Psalm 22. Listen to this from Matthew 27, verse 45. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know what Jesus is doing, right? He's quoting from Psalm 22. He's taking the words of David and he's crying out to God in the midst of his grief, in the midst of his questions, in the midst of his Friday that will turn into Saturday in a tomb. He's crying out to God. And I want to assure you this, David knows these psalms. He's sung them all of his life. So he's not just singing the first verse of Psalm 22. It's about all he can get out in the midst of the breath that he's losing as he's dying. But I guarantee you Jesus knows the psalm and how it ends. He knows the hope that it's proclaiming, even in the midst of his feeling of abandonment. This morning, there are some people in this room who feel abandoned. Because you've given hope to God, you've you've poured out your request before Him, you've given everything you have to Him, and you wonder, God, where are you in the midst of the suffering I feel? Why is this seeming to be a one-day story? And I wonder if along with Jesus, this ought to be our cry as well. God, why... Have you forsaken us? Why do you feel so far off? Why why do our prayers seem to hit the ceiling every time we pray them? But along with David, we proclaim in the midst of this. God, we don't know how Sunday will work out. All we know is we live in Saturday, but we trust that this is a three-day story. We trust that you're at work to do more and that you'll accomplish more than what we can see. Church, we live in the land of Saturday. We ache with Saturday, don't we? But I'm excited to tell you, if you'll come back next week, there's more to the story. But we can't get there. That's next week. For this week, we live in the land of Saturday. So I want to invite you to to, to lift those cries this week. Maybe Psalm 22 is a place you camp out this week along with Jesus. 
Whatever it is that you're wondering, is God going to move? Is he going to act? There's no promise that everything goes perfect for those who believe in Jesus. That's not what we proclaim. We're a church that knows Saturday's a reality. But we also proclaim there's a day on the way. We look forward to that day in full hope, believing that what feels forsaken will turn out to be a victory. So right now I want to pray as we close our time and uh, pray you'd lift up your hearts on this Saturday with the ache and the cry of God, uh, to God this morning. God, we pray along with David feeling forsaken, doubting your presence, doubting sometimes if this whole God thing is a reality. God, we see the stories of war across the nations. We see churches even being bombed this morning, God, in other places in Egypt, God, and we see the story being repeated again, the story of power and domination that never is the best story. But God, sometimes when we give up and sacrificial love our lives and we trust you, sometimes we end up in, in sat, on Saturday, we end up in the tomb and we look around wondering, is the story over? God, I pr- pray this morning you would fill with hope those who've lost hope. You would fill uh, with hope the reality in each one of us that you have a third day story for each of us. And next week we look forward to celebrating that more. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.